You are now entering the Mix You podcast. No credentials required. Hey everyone, welcome to the next episode of the Mix You podcast. Uh, we decided to change things up a little bit this time, and uh, the format will be a little different. We've decided to uh, find a person for the three of us that has been a big influence on our career and our lives and throughout the history of what we do. So today is Lee's turn, and we are honored to welcome Phil Bledsoe to the conversation. Um, Phil has a unique history with Lee, and we thought it would be great to just talk to him, not only about his mixing history, but uh, about his sort of influence and relationship that he's had with Lee over the years. So Phil, welcome to the podcast. Lee and Andrew, welcome. I can't wait to start this conversation. So we, uh, as as oh. normal, when we're looking at each other on these Zoom calls, um, we've all got a unique identifier, kind of where we are. And uh, <laughs> Phil is in his daughter's nursery. So uh, <laughs> that's probably a first, I think, for a guest, the ones we've talked to. Right, guys? I think so. I think so. Yeah. I, I had everything nice and formal. And then I thought, wait, there's a nice recliner that I used to rock my <laughs> child to sleep. I'm going in there. <laughs> It's good. That's awesome. It's good. And Jeff's in his new house. I nice. am. I'm coming to you live from Greenville, South Carolina, which is and, interesting to me because I've been in Atlanta for 25 years. So um, new digs and a new setting. But I think we're getting getting to see your stairwell. I believe you're on the landing. That's basically I, what it I'm, looks like to me. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I, was, I was huddled in a fetal position trying to figure out where to hang the next picture. And now I took a break to come and talk to you guys so that's good well guys give us give us some background uh lee how how long have you known phil like what's the deal here so we met on shout fest was the very first time we met is that i think that's right do you know what year that was i always get it confused oh four oh three that we met was probably oh three because i think it started in oh two okay yeah so it's 2003 I was working for a Christian rock band called Disciple and had just started with them. And this was like, you know, stumble your way, like force gumped my way into touring because <laughs> they were just some like good old boys from Knoxville who got a record deal. And they're like, hey, do you want to go on tour? And I'm like, yeah, awesome. I'll drop out of college. How much, what do I get paid? $25 a day and $5 per diem. So it was like, I'm living the dream. You know, I was in see 2003, I would have been, 19 years old and phil what were you doing on the tour are you doing monitors uh should, stage manager and production managing i think at the time yeah you should have been production so, managing, but you were doing other things i'm sure <laughs> yeah he was doing everything <laughs> yeah i started as just a lighting guy but i think that only happened for one year and we were building roof and stage and i mean it was so it was a guy named scott beale and myself scott is now with a country artist but he's with uh he was with Pillar for years and Super Chick. Um, so he and I started, basically, he was doing audio and I was doing lighting. And we built that stage. We built the roof. We built everything and should have been dead, long dead. Uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, the next year I, I, I moved up to production managing. And I think Scott was still on if he hadn't moved on. But, yeah, that was uh, – we, we all like to say – some of the worst times, but we wouldn't trade those memories and experiences for anything. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think, and you had been touring for a while already at that point. Yeah. Honestly, I was in a band in the late nineties in Atlanta. Um, and then moved to Nashville really to just learn more and help my own band started working for production for some of the acts that I used to play with. So 97 or so is when I started and I moved to Nashville in 98 um, and just started picking up little gigs here and there. And What was uh, your, um, so back then, what were you wanting to do when the world is your oyster and <laughs> life is seemingly uncomplicated and we all have some of those memories, I'm sure. What, what were you wanting? Wait, time yeah. out. What does... What does that metaphor even mean, Stone? The world is your I oyster. I think if you like oysters, the whole world is it, and you can eat it. Dude, I'm on Vicodin. I don't okay. know. <laughs> okay. He's not a drug addict. He had oral surgery yesterday and had like 15 teeth pulled or something. The day before I go on vacation. Thanks. Nice. Yeah, so I'm really excited yeah. to hear what, okay. what may come out of Andrew's mouth today, just as a side note. Yeah. Got it. Because what came yeah. out of it yesterday caused a lot of pain. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, proceed. Um, well, world is my oyster. Um, you know, I, I have a very different perspective on a lot of that stuff in that my wife and I talk about it a lot. She comes from a family of entrepreneurs, and I come from a family of farmers. So where she's driven to look for the next big thing, I'm just kind of like, I'm just going to ride the wave that comes at me, you know? Uh, so I never really made any huge plans, although I was pretty driven when I moved to Nashville in the beginning. I mean, I was banging down doors. Uh, I was going to MTSU for a little bit, um, but I was already touring on the weekends doing stuff with guys that I used to work with out of Atlanta, a guy named Sammy Ward. Uh, we were touring in some of the early years of um, Winter Jam. And um, I remember banging on the door at the sound kitchen for ages, wow. ages and ages. And finally was picking up some side work uh, in the Atlanta Fest office that was in Nashville with Chuck Tilly. Yep. And Ch Chuck knew John Elefante and got me his number and I just started blowing up his secretary until they finally said, fine, come in, talk to John. We, you have 30 minutes. And I walked in there, walked out two hours later because he and I were just talking 80s rock and production and whatever. So I say that I am not very hugely goal-oriented and driven. I just ride the waves that God throws at me because, man, I couldn't choose half the things I've been given. That's cool. Uh, but at the same time, when I was that young, I was banging on doors. So, <laughs> Man, that's cool. I love the analogy of the farmer versus the entrepreneur because that, yeah. uh, that just explains a lot of my relationships. It's funny because my family came from farming as well. So it's like, okay, plant a seed and, and pray for rain. And yeah. that's, that's kind of how I've operated a lot of my career is just sort of, I mean, the blessings that have come have been not from my pursuit but more of just god's provision and god's blessing that's that's a really cool way to think about it yeah yeah my wife is looking at a big business right now this is probably a side note but she's looking at a business idea right now and i just told her just last week i was like don't forget where we come from baby you make it happen you dream big you make it happen and i will be the worker i'll execute all your dreams but i i don't i don't tend to dream well with her yeah so. mm. But that's, that's, interesting. that's what makes uh, 
relationships work sometimes, even on good business relationships and uh, definitely in marriage when you guys work like that. My yeah. wife and I are like that to a same degree. Um, if you put her, like if I think it up or dream it up and I put put it in front of her, like she can execute the list and do the, like what do they call it, an operator, you know, the operator function. Yeah. yeah. And I'll do the vision and dream. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So it's interesting how we all have these stories like that. Like, And I can tell when you're talking, thinking back to those days, like I've beaten down the door to the elusive mm-hmm. sound kitchen door, which a million people have tried and failed. There's kind of a little uh, gleam in your eye, sort of, of like, those weren't bad days. No. Right? I mean, that's, right. and that's probably a little bit about what kind of what built you into how you function now was just that, uh, would you consider yourself like you don't take no for an answer or are you just, uh, like, what would your wife say to that? I guess that's the question. (laughs) Um, I'll take it a different direction. Honestly, I, when I moved to Nashville, the first thing I said was I'm not going to get a TV, you know, uh, Hmm. late nineties cell phones and laptops really weren't a thing, you know? iPads, none of that were there, you know? And so when I moved to Nashville, I was like, I'm not going to get a TV. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, and I didn't know what this was, but I just knew I was going to work hard. That's really cool. And so, so you're the one, you're the one person in the late nineties who didn't watch friends in real time. <laughs> no, that, that came on repeat on the skillet bus for years. <laughs> yeah. Friends and 24. So th- there, there you, you go. go. So there's a funny story. I'll, I always uh, think about with you and Skillet is you were standing on an overpass in Chicago when their truck got the top ripped off of yeah, it. Yeah, the bus, yep. You want to tell us that what? story? That's fun. Yeah, so my wife, um, we were married in 2002, and we toured together quite a bit. Like, she came out, she was on ShopFest as the merch manager, and she came out with Skillet as merch manager and basically my assistant. So I stayed heavily into production, and she took care of things like hotels and catering and stuff like that all the things that allowed me to focus on what i needed to do and uh, we were traveling light back then it was long before they were who they are now but we were flying to chicago every week so we would fly to midway uh, i think back then they were 39 dollars one ways on southwest and we'd fly to midway the bus had its own little route that they would come through the departures and pick us up upstairs well, we hired a new driver who didn't know that route. And uh, the bus had actually been sitting for a few weeks. The new driver had tried out you know, the bus a couple of times, but for some reason, the brakes had been creating a problem. And uh, Ben Kasica at, was the guitar player at the time. He called me a couple of times and was like, hey, the bus is stuck, the bus is broken down. And I was like, you know, as a tour manager, front of house engineer, production manager, like the all in one package back then, I was like, just get it to me, man. I'll, I'll be your bus mechanic. Just get it to me. So two or three phone calls came and they got the bus rolling again. And then he called me again and said, Hey man, we just hit a bridge. And I was like, just get it to me. Just we'll so try it's not it again. turning in, not turning into a good day for you. Yeah. I was, and this was evening. We were starting a tour at the time. They were still doing their rock crossover. So I think we had finished our tour with saliva and we were starting a new one with finger 11 and uh, 
I just said, Hey man, just get the bus to me. And he goes, we're, we're wedged under a bridge. <laughs> and, and I said, well, how far away are you? I'll catch a cab. Oh my gosh. And he said, we're somewhere in the airport complex. And I just had this sinking feeling. And I remember walking across all the lanes of departure traffic and looking down to my left and the oh. bus was wedged underneath the, the bridge that I was essentially standing on the departure, you know, the raised road up there. So the new driver was trying to get to baggage claim. <laughs> he, he just came in the wrong way. He came in oh. one of those up ramps that actually didn't have a clearance sign. But oh as you're gosh. coming up the ramp, you know, the clearance gets smaller and smaller and he just ripped out. They were probably watching friends and, <laughs> and the front, the front air conditioner just ripped off and fell into the inside of the bus and oh, compressed gosh. the whole thing to the ground. I walked down there, walked up and the guy's name was John. He walked up to me and he said, he just looked so defeated. He was like, you must be Phil. And I was like, you must be big John. He goes, I'll just catch a cab home and you don't ever have to talk to me again. And I said, no, you're my driver. You're going to get me out of this and I'm going to show you how to get a, get out of it. And, uh, hmm. that was, uh, that was the beginning of the end of the finger 11 tour. Cause we couldn't, we couldn't make the shows at that point. The bus was grounded for about five months while the, the roof was ripped off. Um, whole new paint job, whole new roof. And, Somehow all of Skillet and me and my wife traveled. Now this is before cello and violin, but we all traveled in a Mercury Mountaineer with a trailer for that uh, fall. Wow. <laughs> oh crap. Yeah. The glamorous touring life people. Yeah, exactly. But they mm. it'll be fun, they said. You'll get to see the world, they said. <laughs> yeah. I do I feel like such an old man when I say you guys to all the young guys, I'm like, you guys don't know what it's like to bounce around in the backseat of a 15-passenger van no. or change, change the trailer tire. You just don't know. Right. That's when concert tickets were like $8, and now it's like 450 <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a it's a different thing now. Yeah. It's a different thing. Yeah. Okay, so fast forward. I want to talk very specifically about ShoutFest and yeah. one of our first interactions. I want to know if you remember this. So it was day one. Disciples loading in, uh, CTS is doing audio, Weston Smith yep. is at front of house, yep. and it's a DM2000. Yep. I go out to front of house. This is my first like real show, basically. First real Can we festival, pause for a second? and it's a DM2000. Yeah. Why, would it, why would anyone have a DM2000 as their front of house console? <laughs> oh, man. Back then, that was the only digital console. I know, but to walk up to that thing and actually feel like you could... <laughs> Make headway in five minutes during sound check. No. That was no. just impossible. Okay, so it wasn't just me being an idiot, but <laughs> anything I'd mixed on at that point before was like, I was happy to get an Allen and Heath with a parametric low mid band. Yeah. You know, it was like th that was it. So I go to front of house and it's it's sound check before doors are opening. So I don't know, two o'clock or so, day one. So the crew hasn't had breakfast or lunch, and I get out there and Weston's like. Hey, are you good? I need to go eat. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And he takes off. I'm totally just faking it. And then I call up on stage. Phil answers the phone. And I said, dude, I have no idea what I'm doing out here. Will you come help? I didn't know anything about the console. And he's like, I got you. You came to front of house and basically dialed up the file for me the first time. Do you remember that? I don't. Nope. 
<laughs> you did. So Lee, and did, I'll never forget it. Did you guys know each other at all before then? Or was that like your, one of your first yeah, interactions? So I, I think I misspoke. So I met you, there was one of those crazy skate park, Christian club concert venues in Orlando and skillet was playing and disciple yeah. opened yeah. maybe yeah. a year before that. Mm-hmm. And it was enough to say, Hey, there was a connection to Knoxville because your wife is from Knoxville. So we kind of had, maybe even we knew someone, maybe my mom worked with someone in your wife's family. There were, there was something there that we had, we're able to have a conversation mm-hmm. on. I don't even know that we like exchanged cell phone numbers because they didn't exist or whatever. But so we had one interaction before that. So then when I saw him on Shoutfest, he was the familiar face. Yeah. yeah. But even that was a, it wasn't like a long-term relationship. It was just, Hey, I'm in a jam. I, I need to figure out how to punt. Please come help me. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's it totally awesome. was. Yeah. And I'll make a side totally note on the DM 2000 because, uh, the first, so I guess I would have been on the DM two. I don't remember when that would have been, but the first tour that, uh, when I left skillet, I went to go work for a band called tree 63 and, I had been specced a Innova Sun Grand Live. And if you guys remember the digital transition from analog to digital, no one knew who was going to win. It was like Blu-ray versus HD DVD, you know, like oh my exactly. gosh. you just, and so it's the wild I, west. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to get an Innova Sun Grand Live. This is going to be great. Oh. And I played on them for a while and then I show up to the first day of rehearsals and it's a DM2. And I remember calling at the time, Crystal Taylor systems, not CTS. And I called and I was like, guys, this is not what you spec'd out. This is, you know, I expected a Nova Sun over here. And they're like, this is what you get. And I was so frustrated looking back on my life. That was the best thing that could have happened to me. Because now that we know the early days of digital, that Yamaha won so strong, mm-hmm. being on that DM2 was the best thing for me to learn how Yamaha thinks and how they function and layers and simple things like storing your input files and output files every time you shut it down because there was no flash memory on those consoles at the time. You know, just if I had been on that Sun and Sun died like they have, sorry if anyone's listening that likes Sun, but, um, uh, I, you know, if, I would have been on a whole tour that would have been a waste of my time, essentially, for my career. I, th- I think that we well, might owe Yamaha credit for saving your life because <laughs> as another person that had to use the Innovason, uh, who was cursed to use it and I'll just go there. That thing is a POS. They were a POS when they started and they were a POS when they ended. And I would think Yamaha deserves a medal for saving his life. What do you guys think? I, I mean, think that, that's a good call. That's be a great situation. Well, it, it actually saved two lives because if he hadn't known how to use it, I would have been screwed on that festival <laughs> yes. also. Yeah, absolutely. You, I would rather go to hell and listen to banjos for the rest of my life than have to mix on an Innova song. <laughs> wow. There, that's there you have it. <laughs> So that's so yeah. Cool. So then we're on that festival for a few months, and then after that, I, I'm in Nashville more and more often. But I lived in Knoxville. I didn't want to move to Nashville. Phil and his wife totally opened up their home, let me stay in their guest bedroom multiple times, 
and totally Played became one of, of these guys that I could play tons of Halo, which is way better than <laughs> Fortnite, by the way. And I'm I'm way better at it. So any of you like 15 year olds or 45 year olds out there who want to play some Fortnite, I'll, I'll play you in Halo. Okay. Okay. Uh, anyway, aside, so uh, uh, real quick, real quick, Jeff, do we have any idea what they're talking about right now? <laughs> Fortnite? Are we building a fort like in the? In no, the, I. I'm out. Like we're building a fort in the den, right? Out of cushions at, and at, at blankets nighttime. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's Fortnite. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Afghan right quilts. Sure. Afghan quilts. Don't forget those. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Continually. Yeah. So uh, Phil and I basically start hanging out a lot. I'm staying at their house in Nashville frequently, and you were one of those guys that it was fake it till you make it with the rest of the world, but not you. It's like what do you do in this scenario? Or you had, Oh, I, here's another one. I remember you were the first guy who told me what advancing a show was. So yeah. at, to this point, we're working with a band who just gotten signed, you know, good old boys, van and trailer. Here's a tour bus. And me and Travis Honeycutt are the crew and we're rolling into venues. We've never spoke to don't know anything <laughs> about it at five o'clock in the afternoon to do a show at seven or eight. And just rolling in and going. And then Phil's like, well, who's advancing for you? I'm like, what's that? And he <laughs> opens a laptop and like shows me the spreadsheet of all this stuff on it. And my mind is just blown. I'm like, you mean you can call these people a month ahead and <laughs> ask them how big just, their stage is you and mean how big the, the doors are and what the PA is? You mean the advance <laughs> can be used as a verb? What? It's, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like stuff like that. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm probably this like punk kid to other people who thinks he's a good mixer and has been doing this since the womb. But you got to have guys like Phil that you can go, okay, really? Like what, what's a condenser microphone? How does a compressor work? Like those were the actual conversations we were having. That is so good. So here's, here's a way to kind of make it practical for our listeners. Cause Phil, we have a lot of guys who are listening who are, uh, church front of house guys who some have a ton of experience some have very little experience so talk for just a second to them about the importance of that sense of you as a production manager as a front of house mixer you know being open-handed with all that stuff rather than being closed off and building stanchions around your world to say to lee gosh that's none of your business you got to go figure it out what was it about you that allowed you to be more open-handed and then just how important it is for us to be that way with guys mm. who are coming up behind us. Cause it happens a lot in church where people build, build a wall around their skill and it's like, Nope, this is my area. You know, others need not apply. And we always try to encourage guys that that is just so wrong headed in terms yeah. of thinking. So talk about just how important that is to, to not be that way. I think a lot of it's ego driven. I mean, I don't think, I know a lot of it's ego driven. I see it just every day, you know, where, um, guys are, are doing their thing, their tricks, their whatever. And just kind of looking over their shoulder, making sure nobody's checking them out. And I've just never been that way. I've been kind of of the, the mindset that if I don't, if someone is doing a better job than I am with the tools that I can, that I'm using, then I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Um, and so I have no problem helping people out, you know, um, 
back in the I don't remember my mindset back in the day. I just remember seeing a young dude who mixed a band that I loved and we connected, even though he was a great sniper on Halo. Um, <laughs> we connected really well and I just had no reason to hold back. Again, if I uh, showed him any of the tricks or tools that I was using and he used them better than I, then I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Or mm. congratulations to you. Move on, move up, and uh, pull me along like like you did later on uh, when you moved on to Church World and handed me a job later. So, um, and that's so good. Yeah, and I'm seeing a lot of um, like even even this tour I did just last year. I had several discussions with my artist where he would come to me and say, "Hey, um, I'm hearing that the opening act is." Uh, mixing louder or the show some version of that he's louder than than we are and and I would just always say man if he's better than we are then I need to go get a new job so I'm not going to do any limitations everyone should be given what they're given or you know allowed to use the system the way they need to use it and if it's better than us then man maybe you should hire him you know wow it was uh, it was hard conversations because people did come to me during the show and say, "Hey, this is this is too loud. This is whatever." And I'm like, "Okay, well, um, I will, I'll respond in terms of pain or comfort, but um, again, I'm not going to limit that guy from his growth and learning his own lessons." And we would talk every day, and I'd say, "Hey, man, let's just try something new. Try a different approach. You're doing the same thing every day. Try something new. Try to reach a new." Um, a new set of fans, you know, some version of that. Just try something new. Use today as the day to work on. Uh, I'm trying to think of a better way to put it. Uh, a lot of times I would just say, hey, just look around before you start mixing. Mm. You know, look at the people in the crowd. And same thing, you know, I'm not going to, I'm just, I'm not going to hide anything that I do. I have no super special knowledge. And if I can help someone jump ahead a little bit, then I'll go for it. That's so cool. Well, I think, you know, of all the guests that we've had, there's a common thread there. You know, the guys who are super successful are the ones who are willing to share and be open about what they're doing. Cause honestly, there really aren't a whole lot of super secrets anyway. I mean, it's physics. Right. It's, right. it sounds good or it doesn't. And, um, you know, to be, to be willing to share and to be willing to help and lend a hand when it's required is just such a, a skill that I think a lot of church guys can learn from. It's really cool. Yeah, the church guy situation is a little different in that so many people are getting their hands on such high technology, such amazing toys that we never could have got our hands on back in the day. And so they're just leapfrogging over... Um, I know it's not audio, but they're leapfrogging over the back seat in the van and changing the tires on the trailers and all those experiences when it comes to audio. They're leapfrogging over knowing what it sounds like when the head of a uh, the head of a '57 is loose and rattling on a on a floor tom. You know, like hmm. you just you don't yep. know because you just slapped your 604s or 904s on or you know whatever you're doing. You didn't live through those years of figuring those little things out. And um, if I can break through some of those barriers that they build up when I'm communicating with them. A lot of times those are the small things that I start talking about. I taught a class at a college last year and it was all about, it was like a 101 production class and everyone every day wanted to get on the console 
and the very the yep. very last yeah. day of class, I showed them what the CL5 looked like powered on. Everything else was wow. We're gonna dude. We're gonna start every class by throwing out cables and rolling them up over under. We're gonna talk about how to patch a stage. We're gonna talk about how to cable a PA. We're gonna talk about all the things that will eventually get you to mixing on that console. But if you don't know those things, I wouldn't hire you in a second. Yeah, they don't want to do that. Like they, a lot of them want to go from A to C and skip B. And you know what? Guys, I loved B. I loved like figuring out how to pin a stage. And I loved when someone sat down and actually showed me how to do a proper solder job on an XLR. Right. Now, right. do I love sitting there today doing it? Heck no. But that's stuff that I've been able to pass to other people because, and I have vivid memories of someone explaining what a proper solder connection should look like and how you can trust it. And as a front of house guy, like ultimately you've got to know that all those connections and points were done right. I love that stuff. And I love that you, I love that you forced people for an entire semester (laughs) to like focus on the basics yeah. I mean, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah, Meanwhile, with, with with the console yeah. sitting over there in the corner, just teasing oh, them the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, soldering yeah. like things like soldering and and creating a stage patch and a plot and all that stuff. That's ther- therapy for me. It it just feels so good. And I had, I mean, I had a lot of great students in that class, and not everyone complained. I just, in fact, no one said anything until I got the reviews after the semester. But uh, um, it was just. You know, I remember a midterm that was, hey, you have a four-piece band. You are one of those members of the band, or you're the production manager for that band. I need you to draw me out a stage plot mm-hmm. like you're running into a venue to communicate, you know, how to put put on your show. The next page was, hey, you're a venue ma- uh, manager, and you just got this stage plot from the band on the, on the page before. I need you to create a patch sheet for this that's going to work on your stage. And, like, things like that, okay, this is fun or a challenge or a puzzle kind of thing, but... If they don't, if people don't know that kind of stuff, I don't, yeah, I bump into a lot of engineers now that are jumping straight from church world with all those great tools and all the secrets that they can learn on YouTube straight into mixing on the road and could not walk on that stage and fix anything if their life depended on it. Man, I think, I think to do what you just said as an exam, if a production director at a church made that a part of their volunteer training, I mean, their skill level and their engagement level could go through the roof with these guys if they would start with things like that. Hey, here's the challenge. How would you create a patch sheet? Just something simple as that right. could change the game for some of these guys. That's an awesome thing. I, I, I hope people take that and run with it because that's a cool idea. We're seeing... I, I, no, you're good. I, it's funny, this whole patch sheet and stage plot thing. And I'm, I'm recalling the frequency when we go help churches that don't even have them. And I don't know that it's, they don't, that they don't know how to make it. I think they don't understand the importance of it Mm -hmm. and the importance of the rest of the team. It's like, you've got a $90,000 front of house console. Fine. And there's no input list. And then you got volunteers. They're like, they don't know how to use the console, but they would kill to be able to understand a stage plot and an input list and like how to pin a stage. That is just crazy, but it's so true. Yeah. A lot of those volunteers are engineers. I mean, they want to know what's behind it all. Yeah, right. Especially if you ever do outside events or you have to reset for a conference or anything like that. It's like, 
Why would you not have that? Because that's the best way to engage your volunteers and being able to help. But if they don't know how it works, they can't. So it's just, it's ludicrous. We, yeah. we had a situation on uh, this past weekend and we did a, we did Saturday. It's no problem. Everything was great. Um, and the, the guy on staff who looks over all the um, booking, all the A twos and the A threes, and making sure the paperwork's in order and all that stuff, he was going on a vacation, so he finished all his stuff up into the week and kind of left it. So Saturday was fine; it was all set up, um, and a lot of the background vocal patching and stuff changes overnight because it gets cleared for a when you go to the broadcast message segment, and it has to be set up for the next morning. And I came in the next morning, you know, normal morning where I'm just sort of like hanging out in the background until there's something fun to do where I get to mix. And, you know, and they said all the vocals are coming up wrong, all these background vocals. And and I just walked to the console and I pulled up in the queue and I said, if they're not showing up on the faders that are lit, this is the same file, then we need, you just need to figure it out. And it was a volunteer A2 that I was talking to and a, a volunteer down on stage. And they just looked at me like, well, how are we supposed to do that? And I was like, go to the paperwork. And there's that one instance, instant of like, why aren't you just telling us the answer? Cause they knew, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it's a very easy answer. <laughs> just go patch it. Yeah. But making them go, no, 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 no. There's a, there is a process and plan. This may be the first time you've actually had to use it. Man, it wasn't 45 seconds, and they were down there with a piece of paper that was very clear, that was had been left, like all of us are used to doing. They had it patched. I stayed at the console with the radio. A minute later, I'm like, yep, you got them all. All these, all six vocals show up where they're supposed to. That simple. And they come. the guy comes back, and he's, I mean, it's a, the guy, the A2, he's uh, been working with us now for a long time, and he's very with it, very trustworthy and all that. And it's just uh, it's just this common, this knowledge of like, uh, I just grasped, or I helped this guy on stage grasp this whole concept. And I think about how easy it would have been to like fix it, to right. do the other, like we could, how many times do we all get that opportunity? Just go fix it. Yeah. But could you actually spend, let them spend a few extra minutes, be patient for a second and let them figure it out? I think that's, I like that tone of what you're saying that those instances are worth that time and effort and trouble to let people figure that stuff out. Yeah, we're trying to, or in my case, I'm always trying to equip people. If the call comes over the radio, hey, this isn't coming up right, that you're immediately going to hear another call that says, hey, I got this, not a problem. And it's because you've equipped them with all the knowledge. You could easily have looked at your console pulled up the input patch and said, that should be on channel 25, go fix it on the stage or, you know, some version of that across the board. But, um, you know, I love uh, Lee, when you were out on shout fest was CC patching. Yep. Yeah. She's one of my favorite people in the world and everything always works, but I'm so used to, she and I are like brother and sister in the business. And I'm so used to, if I ever get a call, whether I'm at front of house or monitors, and, or if I ever have to make a call, hey, this isn't coming up right, you immediately get that phone call back that says, or that, that radio call back that says, hey, I'm on it. And, it. and she's on it because she's equipped with the tools, whether a patch sheet or 
you know, something, you know, and, and also several times we'll always, when we do these big elite, uh, gigs like the cruises and stuff like that. There are times that, um, she prints what she calls the production Bibles. And this, this huge binder at front of house that has every single band's individual patch sheet and then their festival patch sheet for hmm. the event. There'll be a couple of times right before a sound check's supposed to start where she'll call and say, Hey, I know the Bible says this, but we're going to update stage right guitars going to this, this input, blah, 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 blah. And it's because again, that's awesome because she's been equipped with that's really cool. the knowledge and the tools to make it happen. Well, as somebody who's been on the receiving end of that with her specifically, you know, whether it was at creation or yeah. on one of those cruises or, you know, the CMB radio events or whatever it is, you know, you're right on. And, you know, to be, uh, on the production side of a band who's coming in in a festival situation where you have no no real window for troubleshooting and right. maybe a 15 or 20 minute window for changeover and sound check um it's just so invaluable to have somebody who is just on it like that and i think right. churches could i think i think it'd be a great challenge for um for our listeners to create some of those scenarios as a kind of like a fire drill almost where it's like okay guys you know We've got 20 minutes to make XYZ happen. And just as part of your team training, just set up some scenarios where we're going to have to change the patch and we're going to have to redo this and unplug this and mm -hmm. make it happen. And just, just challenge your team to go, okay, how quickly could we, if we had mm. to, turn this thing upside down and get it going again? Because you know, to, to your point earlier about the young guys who nowadays expect to show up with a thumb drive that they can just load their file and push faders, it's like, man, I want... I want to get back to the day when you hand somebody a copper snake that's not plugged in and say, okay, sound check starts in 20 minutes, ready, go. Yeah. And yeah. actually have them plug it in and do analog inserts and you know the, the stuff that we used to have to do to make a show happen just as a challenge to go, you know, this is not as simple as just pushing faders. You know, how, how do we really learn how this stuff works? And right. being under the gun like that is a cool challenge. Right. No, absolutely. I agree. So you mentioned uh, earlier the comment kind of just flew by, but um, you did go to work for a church after touring. Yeah, you know, you and I had become pretty good friends. I was off the road when I got married. I went to work at a smaller church in Knoxville, and another church across town was booming, moving and shaking and growing. And at the time, in like oh seven, oh eight, whenever it was, there weren't a lot of churches in East Tennessee doing the type of production they were doing. I built a relationship with them. They were looking for somebody and I knew you and your wife were considering starting a family, trying to slow down. And she wanted to get back to Knoxville. So I called you and said, Hey, I don't know if this is it or not, but there's a church here in Knoxville looking for someone who's kind of like you and you did it and you moved to Knoxville and became a, from touring to mega church tech director. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I remember when at some point you and I had been communicating after you took your job at a church, and and I just remember going, "Hey, man, how'd you do that? Like, how did you? Uh, right? Uh, if you hear of anything like that, you let me know because you know we're like you said we're trying to start a family and all this stuff. And I just I do remember the phone call, and I just thought this is really weird uh, that it will come so fast. Uh, but we were my wife. At the time, my wife and I were in the middle of our first round of in vitro, and it was we lived in this world that 
we were going to have a baby. We needed to settle down. White picket fence. Hey, she's from Knoxville. We'll have family close by. Blah, 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 blah. And so I jumped as fast as I could. You know, it was a, it was a big change, big move. And, um, yeah, I did it. And we lived next to, actually, I live about walking distance to your old house now. But, um, uh, are you serious? Wow. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Your it's funny. I, for those of you who don't know, we're actually on a on a video call, so I can see Phil, and he's looking out the window as if <laughs> Lee's house is a nine iron away from where he's sitting. Yep. That's funny. <laughs> That's right. I can see the the end of your your neighborhood over across the hill. Um, That's hilarious. But yeah, we we moved here and hung out with Lee. We were here from for some special moments in Lee's first kid's life. Uh, yeah. Yeah, man. I remember lots of good things. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, you guys were at the hospital when Dakota was born. That is crazy to think about. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Wow. Um, yeah, I did the I did the church thing here for a while. It was very interesting. Yeah, I met some really great people. Man, we had some pretty stressful moments at the end of my two two and a half years, whatever it was. You know, my wife was just kind of like. Um, you're just beat up, you know, and a lot of that's that farmer mm. mentality in myself. You know, it's my own work ethic where um, I remember when I left the church, one of the conversations I had with my boss at the time was, hey, my entire working career for at the time, 10 years has been based on airplanes and tour buses. And when those airplanes and tour buses stop, I get my life back. I can go home and I can play Halo and I can do whatever I want to do, work on my house or spend time with my wife. And the time that I spent at the church, mostly by my own doing, my own work ethic, that bus and plane never stopped. It just never, ever stopped. Um, and we were, I mean, it was a high stress. They were going through a lot of big changes too at the time. Uh, so everyone was trying to find their way. I was trying to find my way as a TD and the church was trying to find their place in the mega church world. And I remember, uh, series designs were literally every three to six weeks. Uh, and that series design was almost an entire grid drop. So the, the lighting grid would come down, uh, the PA st stayed up, but the lighting grid would come down, whole new set pieces, whole new stage plots every three to six weeks. So just about the time you get to the end of a series and feel like you could take a breath on a Sunday afternoon, it was time to rip it out and start a new one. And wow. And then, you know, expanding to new campuses. I, I don't know how many campuses they have now, but we expanded to our first uh, campus that during my time there. And it was about a quarter size of the current church. Um, so, yeah, I mean, lots and lots of things going on. Me trying to get my feet under me uh, as a, a church tech director coming off the road. I definitely, I know, Lee, I think you know this story, but I know I, I burned some bridges with some local production guys because we did a <laughs> we did a um, a local our, our first Easter was it called the Coliseum is that where that is yeah Civ Civic Coliseum Andrew Stone's probably mixed in there wait Jeff has two actually yeah probably. bro oh okay. yeah <laughs> with the yeah, load in where your trucks are pointed yeah. downhill trying to get really? them unloaded yay I I remember because I had just come from CTS where we were doing major things like women of faith and, you know, big arena load ins and whatever. And, uh, so this would have been Easter. I started 
my job at the church in mid-December. So four months in, five months into my new job, we start doing, we do this Easter thing. And I remember walking into the Coliseum saying, okay, this is me. This is my thing. You know, I've been trying to get my feet under me at the church for four months, but now I'm in my world. And I remember walking in and just pulling my old road attitude out and, you know, ripping guys and getting on to the rigors and telling the production guys, you know, like, you know, I think what should have been a three hour load in was about an eight and a half hour load in. It was just crazy. And I remember the church guys, the leadership coming to me saying, Hey, uh, you need to be careful. You know, these are relationships that are, have been here for a long time and they're going to be here long after you're gone. So you need to tone it down. So <laughs> I learned really fast to try to tone down my road attitude at the church because of those relationships, but great memories more yeah. building blocks. <laughs> Man. Yeah. I've had those yeah. similar conversations here. <laughs> I, and I do have to say on the record that I had a lot of freedom, like where where it came to speaking my mind at the church, that I don't think a lot of guys do. Um, hmm. I know a lot of times behind closed doors in meetings with just two or three uh, specific people where I was able to, to speak my mind and, and it was taken in a you know, with a uh, bit of a translation glass in front of it, but still, uh, you know, leadership, uh, discipleship, all those things in public when you're working with the guys one-on-one, but speak your mind, uh, not road attitude, but, you know, just those kind of things behind closed doors. And everybody was like, okay, yeah, we understand. We get it. Okay. Um, That's cool. Until I started getting barred from meetings. Not barred from meetings, but just un- <laughs> un- 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 uh, uninvited. Yeah, where you'd say, "Hey, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah." I don't, I don't know about that. And they'd be like, "Okay, cool, right? Let's, let's leave the cynic yeah. out of the room from now on." So I have a question. <laughs> I have a question for you. Yeah. And this, again, just just to try to be helpful to the church guys who are listening, because sure. there's a lot of guys who could probably resonate with that. Like, there's this, there's this Sunday's coming mentality. This. I mean, whether it's changeover or whether it's, gosh, our pastor's vision for expansion and multi-campus and all these things, and it's just relentless. And at the same time, you and your wife are trying to deal with something that's extremely personal and for your family and the IVF thing and all that. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. for the guys who are listening who are just in the middle of that, who are up to their necks in all of that, you know, looking back, like what, what advice could you give to that guy who's in the middle of that right now? who maybe like you did on that load in, you know, unintentionally, this stuff just comes out. Your road attitude is not really because of your bad attitude. It's because of right. the other stuff that's in your life that is coming out in, unintentionally, right? So there's this tendency for us to just sort of lash out because of other things that are going <clears throat> on. Is there any advice you could give to that guy who's, you know, whether it's in the way he communicates with leadership or does stuff at home or finds ways to just offload some of that? Like what, what are the lessons you, you say you'd learned looking back? Well, I'd say specifically um, a lot of the discussions that I, that I would have with people, especially about my approach to leadership and communication wasn't necessarily um, struggling with things that were going on or, you know, even lashing out things like that. A lot of that uh, was based on, an entire working career of realizing that you didn't have time to sugarcoat. And just because you didn't have time doesn't mean that you were being rude. It was just, 
you guys know there are a lot more variables in the, um, I don't mean to insult the church world, but in the paying world um, that are affected by slow decisions. Um, and so you've got other crew guys waiting on you to make a decision or to do your portion of your job. You've got a labor call that could be affected and, and run you money up if you make a lot of those, you know, if you take a lot of time to speak slowly and nicely and sugarcoat everything, you know. So it comes from that world of just saying, hey, I, I just don't have time to sugarcoat. It's what I need is is this right now. And we can discuss a different solution later. But um, what's the saying? A, a bad decision now is better than the right decision later. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of times we would, you know, it, it was just speaking fast, speaking quickly, speaking with authority and making sure that uh, things were getting done because so many other things are, are affected by that. And then you walk into uh, the megachurch world and it's very, very similar, to be honest, because like you said, you've got Sunday coming. Uh, you've got an entire weeks of meetings and other things that you need to take care of. But Sunday's still barreling down on you. And you got to flip that whole room with a bunch of volunteers mm. and be ready probably for rehearsal on a Tuesday or Wednesday or Wednesday, Thursday. So you really only have a few days in between, you know. So your decision, a lot of that communication style is based on how many other variables are depending on that. I would say for most of my touring career, I've been in CCM. You know, I did rock a lot of rock crossover with Skillet. I did country for a little while. I'm back in country now. But most of it has been in CCM. And walking into churches uh, is probably one of the most challenging and rewarding moments of my career because you walk in and almost immediately you can sense the tone of the production department. And uh, for my my years in the church world, um, I knew what almost all of the, that range of emotions was. So I could walk up and introduce, hey, I'm the touring guy. I've got my trucks outside. Uh, well, let's talk about you for a minute. How you doing? Where you at? What's going on with, with your church and your community and all that kind of stuff? And pretty soon be able to realize if this was going to be a, we're going to jump right into it and get to work. Or if I needed to make sure that there was times throughout the day where I could for back of a, uh, lack of a better word, just minister to someone and just say, hey, man, dump it on me because I'm going to get on that bus and roll out tonight and I will take whatever you can give me and take it with me, you know, and help where I can. But just be someone that can listen. It's a safe place. Uh, and a, a lot right. of times, man, you guys know it. You all have been in in those sound booths at eight or nine in the morning where you could just see a defeated guy before you even start loading in and uh yeah. Do, you know, I always tried my hardest to make sure that he walked out or I walked out with him feeling better, no matter if there was confetti on the floor or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. really good, man. Yeah. Really good. So you were there, let's say, three years or so, and now you're mixing for, I mean, one of the biggest country acts in the world right now. What do you miss about the church? Oh, man mix uh what do i miss about working at the church or just working in the churches uh both either uh i do i do miss those moments i think that was my, one of my biggest fears with taking this gig was to say you know i've got over 20 years in this in this genre and i can walk into any festival and almost any 
tour and know most all the production people. It's like a brotherhood, you know? And so walking into country was yep. going to be a, a big change. Walking back into country is going to be a big change because I don't know anybody out here, um, which actually turned out to not be the case. I knew a lot of people uh, that I didn't know was out here and that I hadn't seen in a long time. But what I miss about the churches is just that brotherhood, you know, whether whether I'm walking into the same churches over and over and I just remember, hey, that production guy that I've worked with, he's always been great. And we've exchanged phone numbers and kept in touch and just that that brotherhood and that that similar foundation that we all have. Um, and that's I guess that's the funny thing in in mega church world is you can walk in and kind of go whether we do have the same background or foundation or not, we all fake like we do. <laughs> we all play, <laughs> yeah. we all play nice and pretend that we grew up in church and everyone's coming from the same angle, you know, but out in, uh, out in the general market, it's, you know, every man's got his own history, you know, and which to be honest is the truth, even in CCM world. And we like to pretend that it's not, but sure. every man's fighting a war and we just pretend that we're not when we're in CCM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I do. I miss um, I miss the challenges. I know this sounds really silly, and I've I guess I've worked myself into this place in my career where, you know, I've missed a couple of flights this year because of weather, and I have to either sleep in an airport, fly in the next day, and just walk up to my console that's already flipped and open for me. You know, I guess I've worked into that place in my life, but I do miss the physical challenges of walking into a space and going, "Ooh, this is." not what this show's designed for, or this is not what you said it was going to be. This is not what the picture said I was going to walk into. And you somehow still make it work. And the crowd still walks out yeah. singing the songs, uh, you know, which is the ultimate goal. Um, I guess the ultimate goal is they walk out with a CD in their hand, but you know, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I miss those challenges. I, I really enjoy on a personal level, I enjoy being able to come home, shut it all down, and be with my family right now. Hmm. Yeah. But I also, I guess that farmer, that workman in me, loved the challenges that I had uh, of going into churches and smaller venues, interacting with different types of personalities in different places in their life and different size stages. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Dude, this has been really good. Yeah. Well, uh, so we're at like uh, almost an hour here. Stone, you want to wrap us up? Yeah, man. Um, man, this has been this has been great. I love every time we get to talk to someone who might be working in a different genre than than the church market, the church world. But every time we talk to somebody, we're uh, we're seeing the parallels of how this we're all doing the same thing, and and what makes this unique, uh, Bill, with you is just the roots you came from and the common bond you have with, with us and especially with Lee and a ton of the people are listening of uh, man, the van and trailer days, you know, it's where those, uh, I had a, a friend of mine send me a photo of, of one of those crappy tours I did way back when. And he just sent a, a note and he said, all the days weren't bad. And it was just a picture <laughs> of that, team ragged out at some show and we happened to get a shot of all of us on the loading dock of some nameless place mm -hmm. and and you just go man i was having fun you know i didn't have a lot of complications in my life and yet and it was cool 
And now I'd look at it and go, you couldn't pay me enough to go on that thing. But they made us who we are. And I, I like just the reminder of listening to your the demeanor and 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 you swearing that even though uh, you worked on a tour that that uh, I tour managed way back when that I don't owe you money that was good too. <laughs> I love that we got that cleared up <laughs> and that I never yelled at you. But seriously, it's it's one of these where um, it's good to just kind of sit for a minute and realize how much effect we all can have on those that are coming up behind us when you may not catch it. Like when you, you didn't know the effect you would have on Lee other than he was a good sniper on whatever game you were talking about. You know, (laughs) I'm not down with the cool kids, but, and, and, you know, one of these days Lee's going to actually be a pretty good engineer and stuff, you know, so, so you really got him started in the right direction. That's good. No, Lee does. Okay. Most of the time. So thanks, but no, I think, I think that brings it all together. And that's what I, I just enjoyed listening to this conversation and being a part of it in that. And I, and we really appreciate your time just taking a few minutes uh, from your daughter's nursery and just, just laying it out real stuff, man. I mean, this is what it's about when we all listen to it and go, this is where we came from. And I think I would bet not one person listening doesn't have some kind of thing that is I is similar or or can identify a little bit with some of the stuff you've noted. So we appreciate that. There's a lot there's a lot in there and a lot of reminders to all of us to to be careful. Those relationships matter. You know, when the church said, you know, and you were at the Knoxville Coliseum, which is not an awesome place. Um, <laughs> sorry, Lee, but uh, yeah, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> but those relationships, those people we come in contact with, we just never know how much effect we may have with them later in life. And I would love, at the end of my life, to look back on those relationships and go, I did well with that. I wasn't right. perfect, but at least I didn't steer somebody the wrong way. And that's been a good reminder as we've been talking to you that that's a good place to stay. So thanks so much for your time, for being with us. This has been a, this has been a good conversation. Absolutely. So we'll, uh, we'll keep this going. We're going to, we're going to drag, drag up some people from the past, uh, for Jeff and I and see what kind of, yeah, you're scared, aren't you, Jeff? (laughs) (laughs) Um, and we'll do some more of this. I think this is a, a really good way to do it. So yeah, man. Cool. That's Thanks, us. Phil. That's us signing off from this uh, this round. We'll uh, talk to you soon. All news with uh, concerning Mixu, you can find at our new and improved website at uh, mxu.rocks. Check it out. <laughs>